Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. The most historic book in history, according to National Geographic and the Smithsonian, isn't what you might expect. When you consider all of the documents, artifacts, and books written throughout history, what do you think is the most historically accurate? Well, before we give you the answer, consider this. This book isn't only the most accurate by historian standards, there's also mathematical proof of its divine authorship, the Bible. Now, wait a second, you might be thinking. I thought the Bible was a religious text, the written word of God and the lifeline for Christians throughout the world. It is, but there is one individual whose conversion to this faith rested upon his goal of disproving the Bible's authenticity. And in his attempt to do so, he noticed something so mathematically impossible, the only conclusion he could come to was that it was divinely inspired. What were some of those mathematical coincidences, and how did he discover them? Find out today on this episode of The Missing Chapter. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Horner here with Phil Schaff. Happy Easter to everyone. We hope that you are all safe and enjoying um, some special time this weekend. Um, the weather here hopefully is going to start to cooperate and feel more like Easter, Phil. But regardless, this is a really fun time, you know, for fr- family and friends and just kind of, you know, slowing things down in the early part of uh, 2022 and just kind of you know, reflecting on where we've been the last couple of years and being thankful for where we are now. And I know you have a special uh, addition for us today as we brew our Southern Pecan coffee and enjoy that. Absolutely. So yeah. cheers to that. Cheers to that. There and I'd like to apologize. I'm a little under the weather. If you think uh, Phil Horner sounds a little bit different, I think a, a, a little bit. I've been dealing with a cold and I think it adds to the effect. Yeah. yeah. Kind of like a, a blues, like a yeah. little rough around the hearty. Yeah. Yeah. Like a good Easter meal. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to actually play this back and, and hear if there's any, you know, noticeable difference. But um I no, we're I like I said, I know you have something special planned for us today. Easter's a very special time of year for everyone and uh anxious to hear what you have for us. So in in regards to Easter and the Christian holiday, this mm-hmm. is actually something when when we started creating a doc of, you know, stories we've heard and we want to make sure and go back to and and we have a list, uh at least I have a list personally of, of probably 20 or 25 stories we haven't gotten to yet. Right, right. And this is actually the one of the first ones on the list. It's actually number one on the list. Um, and it was always one that I was like, oh, I, I really, I, I've heard about this, mm-hmm. but I want to go deeper into it. And then, you know, because Easter was coming up, I said, yeah, maybe, I think this is the time. So 
out of all of the stories that we've done in the two seasons, this is the one where as I got deeper into the rabbit hole, I I was blown away. This is this is something where the coincidence that's involved is is in my opinion beyond chance. It's right. it's it's remarkable. And it comes from a very very unlikely source, which I just I love, you know, that's essentially um the Easter story in general, you know, the unlikeliness of you know, someone coming from Bethlehem in, in a manger rather than, mm-hmm. you know, some big palace, the King of Kings, you know what I mean? So I think this is, this is, um, I think it's going to blow some people's minds here when it comes to the sum of all scriptures, we're talking, you know, the foundation of biblical truth, but math involved in that, that's just such a interesting and odd missing chapter right there. Right. right. And you, and you bring up a good point. When does coincidence not become coincidence anymore? And a transition to this is factual and this is something you can look at and actually say, no, this is it's it's too it's too good not to be 100 percent true. Absolutely. And I think it's more natural than people lead on is that there's a human question of, you know, how we got here, when we got here, uh, why we're here and what's our purpose. And really, who who is to thank? You know, is it chance? Is it is it just a, you know, culmination of molecules over the course of billions of years? Or what is this? But. I think because of that, that that constant questioning, the authenticity of the Bible has been highly analyzed, scrutinized, and many times attacked. And, and honestly, with when it comes to the historical element of, of documents, we actually want that. Mm-hmm. You want things to be scrutinized because then you could you could realize whether or not it's uh, it's factual, it's evident or not. So, not just by theologians and religious leaders, but by agnostics and atheists alike, this has been really. Uh, one of those those topics of discussion um, that have once again really been scrutinized and, and uh, analyzed, but none have explained the way what many have called the mathematical seal beneath its surface. So that's what we're gonna we're gonna talk about here. All right, let's do it. So the original discovery of this numeric seal, according to a religious historian, where I got a lot of this information from, uh, his name is Keith Newman, was completed by a native of the world's most admittedly uh, atheist nation, which of course is Russia. So the gentleman that I mentioned in the intro, his name is Ivan Panin. He was born in Russia on December 12th, uh, 1855. Young man, uh, active atheist. He's actually more more so like a a nihilist and participated even in plots against the czar and his government at the time. And and looking at the data, I should have looked this up, but I think it's probably Alexander II um, at the time. But mathematical genius, uh, phenomenal when it comes to math. You know, I think a lot of people would agree that you know when it comes to math, sometimes you either get it or you don't. Oh, My I, sister Wendy is one of those yeah. who she got me through college. Uh, she's the one that, that gets it. And this guy, the more I've read, he just has this mathematical wizardry. Um, but because of these plots against the czar, he was exiled from Russia. He spent a number of years studying in Germany. He went to the United States where he became an outstanding lecturer on literary criticism which is crucial and recognize, you know, false documents or deciphering documents that claim to be historically accurate, uh, debunking them, et cetera. But Pannon was, was known as a firm agnostic. So well, uh, that so well known that when he later left his agnosticism, accepted the Christian faith, newspapers, local newspapers even carried headlines about his conversion. So that, that gives you a little bit of background of who he was, but it was in 1890 at 35 years old, Ivan, made the discovery of this mathematical structure underlining the vocabulary of the Greek New Testament. Now, why did he use the Greek New Testament and Hebrew Old Testament? Well, it just boils down to that's the original language. 
and the scholar that he is, he knew if he were to discredit something, he needed to go at the original to disprove its authenticity right at the onset in its purest form, because if you could disprove it in its purest form, then any other version or language it would be translated into would be equally, if not more so, fallen short of historical accuracy. And I think that that would make some sense. So he goes into the original language. Now, just to give a little background to the story and to the book itself, here's some facts, because I think we need to kind of get this in our brains before we see the math behind it all and the chance around all this. 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, uh, written by at least 33 different people. Um, these authors were scattered throughout various countries of the world from very different backgrounds. Most of these authors were not really, I would consider, highlight reels. They're actually more like 60-minute episodes, in my mm -hmm. opinion, uh, some being even murderous. Um, many of them had little to no schooling. The whole Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years with a 400-year silence mixed in. But despite all these human flaws included, the books are found to be what's what's called a harmonious record, um, each in accord with the other pretty much flawlessly. So this already has his interest and in, in Ivan's curiosity. But here's the here's where the discovery unfolds. He was casually reading the first verse of the gospel um, in John in the Greek. And remember, he's he's doing this because as a as a professing agnostic and atheist, he really wants to disprove what's in the, in the, in the Bible. So uh, first verse of the gospel of John says in the beginning was the word and the word was with the God and the word was God. Okay. So Pannon was curious as to why the Greek word for the preceded the word God. So if you go back and listen, it's, you know, I, I mentioned it says the word was with the God. So in one case he used the, and then in the next part of the sentence, he didn't use the, so he's kind of curious about that. And examining the text, he became aware of a number relationship. And this was the first of the discoveries that led to his conversion and uncovered this extensive, which you would almost consider a numeric code. In the original languages of the Bible, which is mostly, as I said, Hebrew and Greek, there's no separate symbols for numbers. So letters of the alphabet are also used to indicate numbers. Think Roman numerals. Okay. 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 So the numeric value of a word is the sum total of all of its letters. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Here's an example. Um, there's another professor who's really done uh, lifelong work on this very topic, and Ivan Panin himself. Uh, his name is Professor Haim Shore, who not only studied Panin, but studied these biblical anomalies as a professor of science, actually. So the Hebrew word for year is Shana. Okay. In the Hebrew calendar, a complete non leap year is 355 days. So if you add up the numerical value for the word Shana, was what does it equal? 355 to equal the 355 day calendar. Shore also found that the value of the words for colors, such as red, Adam, yellow, I'm not going to pronounce, pronounce this name, uh, Tashav, I think it is, Tahav, match up with their wave frequencies. The value of the words for earth, sun, moon correspond to the dynam excuse me, diameters of each of these celestial bodies. Then there's the human hand. The word is Yad in Hebrew, and it adds up to 14. Guess what? There's 14 finger bones in the human hand. So Professor Shore, on, on top of all this, found so many of these idiosyncrasies that he wrote a 326-page book wow. about this. But going back to Ivan, he started to uncover some of these mathematical coincidences, all right? Sequences, patterns began to emerge. So these anomalies or coincidences created such a stirring in his heart that he dedicated 50 years of his life to painstakingly combing through the pages of the Bible. So as a history teacher, let's see if 
let's see if I can explain this mathematically. All right, so let's take, let's just take the number seven as an illustration. We'll, we'll, we'll spend some time here. Let's see how this pattern works. Seven is the most prolific number of all the mathematical numbers which binds scripture together, okay? So the very first verse of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, Genesis 1-1, contains over 30 different combinations of seven. This verse has seven Hebrew words having a total of 28 letters, four times seven. Okay. The numeric value of the three nouns, God, heaven, and earth, totals 777. Any number in triplicate expresses complete, ultimate, or total meaning. So of this, I mean, what are the chances of that even happening? Now, going back to Professor Shore, he says, listen, there are seven Hebrew words. The number of letters in this verse, in this first verse, is a multiple of seven. The verse is broken up into two main parts, both of which are multiples of seven. The nouns add up to multiple of seven. The single verb adds up to a multiple of seven. The three leading nouns, God, heaven, earth, adds up to, as I said, 777. The value of the first and last letters of all the words add up to a multiple of seven. Multiple of seven. There's actually 31 different features of the number of seven have been deduced just from the first verse alone. So imagine spending 50 years worth and going through all these anomalies. So Shore, Professor Shore wrote the following about his research. He said, when I first obtained the new findings on my computer screen, I could not believe my eyes. I was so overwhelmed. I ran around like a lion in a cage. I then ran and reran the program and still got exactly the same results. It took me a while to digest all of these new findings and comprehend that these are all for real. So also tightly sealed up with sevens, the Russian Ivan Panin found is the genealogy of Jesus, the account of the virgin birth. And here we are at Easter Sunday, uh, the resurrection. Seven occurs as a number 187 times in the Bible. Now, if you break down the number 187, that's 41 times seven. The phrase sevenfold occurs, guess what, how many times? Seven times. <clears throat> and the word 70 occurs 56 times. 56 right. is eight times seven. And, and Phil, it goes back to what you said in the very beginning and how we just, how we began this conversation in that. When does a coincidence, when is it not a coincidence right. anymore? It amazes me, though. I love how like the mathematician mind works, even, you know, especially on this level, someone you use the word, you know, he's brilliant. He's a genius. You're reading the Bible, but you're thinking of things in the, the construction of words and the use of words mathematically. That's just not right. yeah. how my mind works. <clears throat> so for him to see this formula in and itself is just phenomenal. Yeah. And, and then, then to spend his entire life right. and career and then have all these different professors study him it, and listen, this is only the number seven, and we haven't even gone right. to the second verse. No, and I, I think you, you also hit on an important point, too, is that it leads to the credibility that he did not set out to do any of this. Right. You know, and you kind of, well, your, your research will support whatever your thesis statement was. True. No, his thesis was to disprove this. That's, that's a good point. And when in, in, in actuality, the, the evidence was so overwhelming that it was so obvious to him that wasn't the case. And it's, that's, that's a good point because, you know, if we use the scientific method for mm -hmm. a lot of things in our life, that you have a thesis, you have an idea in your head, you play it out, you have, you know, you, you kind of toy with these these different things, and then you get to the results, the conclusion might be different than what you've originally right. theorized. And you have to have that ability to say, yeah, I was wrong. 
And so he has enough humility in his heart where he's able to admit that he was completely wrong from the And onset. the evidence is so yeah. overwhelming. That's that's a good you know, point. Yep. Yep. So let's keep going. So in the book of Revelation, seven explodes in multiple areas. Here we go. There are seven golden candlesticks, seven letters to seven churches, a book sealed with seven seals, seven angels standing before the Lord with seven trumpets, seven thunders, and seven last plagues. In fact, there are over 50 occurrences of the number seven in the book of Revelation alone. How about this? There's 21 Old Testament writers whose names appear in the Bible. Of course, that's three times seven. Mm -hmm. The numeric value of their names, divisible by seven. Of these 21, seven are named in the New Testament. Moses, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Hosea, and Joel. Uh, the numeric values of these names, of course, is 1,554, which is 222 times seven. David's name is found 1,134 times, which is 162 times seven. Then he realized that the science backed this up too. Because think about this. And I actually started as I was reading this. I'm like, wait, that, that kind of makes sense. Because as he's recognizing these calculations, he's reminded of some of the science that coincides. That not only, it doesn't contradict what he was thinking. It coincides with it. Um, which is, in his opinion, shows evidence of a designer. Because wherever there's a design, there's got to be a designer. For example, the development of the human embryo is in exact periods of sevens or 28 days, four times seven. Medical science tells us the human body is renewed uh, cell for cell every seven years. We're told the pulse beats slower every seven days, as if it were in accord with the seventh day of rest proclaimed in the book of Genesis. Um, God formed man in the dust of the ground in Genesis 2-7. Science confirms that human body is made of the same 14 elements, 2 times 7, found in your average uh, handful of dust. The light of the sun is made up of seven distinct colors uh, shown in the rainbow. Almost all the animals, uh, the incubation or pregnancy period is divisible by seven. Music lovers out there, hello. Seven distinct notes, mm. which climax in a chord or octave at the beginning of a new seven. Seven is often referred to as God's seal or the number of spiritual perfection. So listen, there are. if you spend 50 years of your life and right. you go through I, I know I've spent a long time with just the number seven, but for the sake of explanation and sheer bewilderment, let's take the number eight because, you know, I don't want to spend the entire podcast just talking about sevens. And remember, this goes throughout the Bible. So this is just a very small portion of it. Eight's the number of new life or resurrection. Speaking of Easter, it's the personal number of Jesus. When we add together the letter values of the, of the name Jesus in the Greek, we get 888. Jesus was called the Christ. The numeric value of this title is for is excuse me 1480, which is 185 times 8. Savior, which has the value of 1408 is 2 times 8 times 88. Jesus is also called Lord, which again is a multiple of 8 being 800, 100 times 8. Messiah has the numeric value of 656, which is 82 times 8. Jesus also called himself the son of man. This term occurs 88 times and is valued at 2,960, which is 370 times 8. Jesus said, uh, I am the truth. Numeric value of the truth is 64, which of course is 8 times 8. Last book of the Bible is Revelation of Jesus Christ, which uh, has exactly 888 Greek words. Eight people were saved in the ark during the great flood of Noah. God made a covenant with Abraham that every male Jewish child was to be circumcised on the eighth day of his life. Uh, eight individual cases of resurrection spoken of the Bible apart from Jesus. On the eighth day was the first day of the new week that Jesus also rose from the dead. 
Holy Spirit also came down from heaven on the, of course, eighth day. The number nine uh, is finality or completion. The first example of its use, infinitely sealed first verse of the Bible. Here we go. In the beginning, God, which is uh, in Hebrew is, there's no way I'm going to pronounce this right. Breshith Elohim, which has the numeric, numeric value of 999. The very next statement created the heaven is also sealed with 999. The number nine is endowed with a per, pretty peculiar quality, by the way. It's it's finality in itself. So think about this. Not only is the final uh, single number, but if you actually multiply it by any other number, the addition of the resulting figures will always revert back to nine. Let me explain because there's a lot of words there. So take two times nine. That equals 18. We'll take the numeric value of 18. One plus right. eight, that equals nine, right? So there are nine basic gifts available to the Christian believer through the power of God's Holy Spirit. There's nine basic fruits, which should be evident in the life of the believer. The words, my wrath, have the numeric value of 999. The word, amen, or verily, valued at 99, occurs 99 times. The work on the cross was completed at the ninth hour when Jesus said, it is finished. The shedding of his blood was final, of course. Uh, it saw an end to the old system of animal sacrifice to atone for sin. The word blood, in this sense, occurs 99 times. And how about how about lucky number uh, unlucky number thirteen? Maybe it's for good reason. Check this out. One of the most convincing proofs of the origins of this number can be found by unraveling all the names by which Satan is known. Dracon or dragon has a value of nine seventy five, which is thirteen times seventy five. It occurs thirteen times. Um, Tempter has a value of one thousand fifty three, which is thirteen times eighty one. Um, Belial, or uh, which is the personification of evil, has the value of 78, which is, of course, six times 13. Murderer has a value of 1,820, which is 40 times 13. Serpent is 780, which is 60 times 13. So Ivan Panin's work initially involved some 40,000 pages of material on which he had written millions of small, pretty neat calculations. So I know I, I, for those of you that are expecting history, but are getting a mathematical, uh, I don't know, brain cramp right now, myself included, I wanted to give you enough where it was kind of mind numbing because I'm thinking to myself, how is this guy going through 40,000 pages of material, spending 50 years of his life going through all these calculations? It's You have to have a, a mathematical mind to do this. So I think after the break, we'll talk about Payton's legacy and why this isn't more widely discussed. Welcome back after break. Um, Phil, the, the, the name and the idea, the concept that, that keeps coming back to me as I, as I heard you uh, lay this story out for us, I think author Dan Brown, who, you know, if our you know, uh, listeners are familiar with that name, uh, Angels and Demons and the Da Vinci Code, there's an element to that 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 kind of resonates with me, I think. I, I think, yeah. you know, these these things that, you know, to to the layperson who's reading the Bible or some of these books, it's not going to be obvious. But the, the mind that this gentleman had and the way that he was thinking about it, certainly there's that code almost. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and to the point where Ivan Panin, he, he often labored up to 18 hours a day exploring this like numeric structure. He, he was just fascinated by this. And the, the deeper he got, it just seems like uh, the more he found. But, you know, of course, 18 hours a day, 50 years of your life, it's it's really a thankless task. And Pannon once said, 
quote, when I first made the discovery, I was, of course, taken off my feet. I was in the same condition as our friend Archimedes, who, when he solved a great mathematical problem while in the bath, rushed into the street naked, crying, I found it. Uh, I thought people would be delighted to embrace the new discovery, but I found human nature is always the same. So I quietly, uh, quietly withdrew and did my work all by myself. So the, what's interesting, though, is the works of Ivan Panin have have been pretty much put before a lot of experts a lot of times. He actually even challenged nine noted rationalists uh, and Bible critics through the use of New York Sun's newspaper uh, on November 9th, 1899. He dared them to publicly refute or give explanation for a few of his his facts that he presented. Four of them made pretty much like lame excuses not to show up and the rest were pretty much silent. Um, Ivan uh, issued a challenge throughout leading newspapers of the world asking for natural explanations or rebuttals of the facts and not a single person accepted. But Pannon says the laws of probability that the authorship of the Bible is the work of man is exceeded into the billion, excuse me. He once said, quote, if human logic is worth anything at all, we are simply driven to the conclusion that if the facts I presented are true, man could never have done this. We must assume that a power higher than man guided the writers in such a way, whether they knew it or not, they did it and the great God inspired them to do it. So scholars have looked into his work and professors like Professor Shore, like I mentioned earlier, have called this, quote, code, more like, I think this is a great explanation, more like God's watermark on the fabric of nature, almost like a seal on American money. Um, And as far as the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, here's a figure for you. A professor from Westmont College did some math about the chances of these Old Testament prophecies coming true in New Testaments, uh, in the New Testament, excuse me. The chance of one man fulfilling just eight prophecies, and we know that there's much more than eight, uh, was one in the 10 to the 17th power. To illustrate how large 10 to the 17th power, remember it's 10 uh, with 17 zeros. The professor gave this illustration. Suppose that we take 10 to the 17th power silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. They'll cover all of the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man, tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up the one silver silver dollar that has the special mark. What chance would he have had uh, of getting that right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had writing just eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man from their day to the present time. So, and we also obviously know there's way more than eight. So the, the chances of that happening are just are phenomenal. According to Keith Newman's website that I mentioned earlier about this and about the math that Pan had discovered, he said, it would seem the divine hand has moved to prevent counterfeiting in the pages of the Bible in a similar manner to the line that runs through paper money. Bible numerics appear to be God's watermark of authenticity. Now, as we close here, Phil, Ivan Pannon has been the focus of our story. He ends up dying at the age of 87 in Canada on October 30th, 1942. And I did some math, which if you add that together, 10-30-1942, it equals 56, which is 8 times 7. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander, and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.